0: Good morning. Okay, uh, Before I begin, I just want to say that I'm, I'm really happy for this opportunity to preach today. Uh, when Pastor Micah asked if I wanted to preach, I really jumped at the opportunity, and I'm just very thankful. and very thankful to have such a great pastor who's been so willing to guide me, help me, and walk with me on this journey with Christ. We're very fortunate at Ocean Way to have such a caring and generous pastor, but enough about Micah. I'm up here to glorify God. Um, So we've been going through the book of Colossians for several weeks now, and we are going to continue with that series today. This is week 10 of our Colossians series. Uh, We are going to be in Colossians 3 this morning. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Michael went over the first four four verses of Colossians 3, and they are considered the transition verses. Uh, See, the first two chapters are about the doctrine, And then Paul transitions into the practicality. How can we apply this stuff? And this is where we're at now. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, I would invite you to join me in Colossians 3. Uh, Before I begin, I need to let everyone know that this sermon has some hard truths. And when I was coming up with this sermon, I had a person in mind when I wrote everything down. Me. So if you think I'm going hard in the paint, understand that all this was directed at me first. And for all the people over the age of 30, uh, harden the paint means being tough on. So if you think I'm being tough on you, you understand that I was being tough on me first. Uh, now, uh, what I'm talking about this morning is taking stuff on and putting new stuff on. Now, keep your pants on. I'm not talking about that. We aren't having a fashion show this morning. I'm talking about our spiritual selves. You see, when we come to the Father and are saved by the blood of Christ, we are a new self. We're to put away the old and start with the new. What exactly is the new? Well, I'm glad you asked, and that answer can be found in Colossians 3. Uh, When you get to Colossians 3, give me an amen. That never gets old. Okay, if you are able, I would ask that you stand while we read Colossians 3, 5 through 17. And it says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, Dear Lord, thank you for these verses, Lord. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your majesty and your might. Let your words be glorified today, Lord. Just thank you for this opportunity. We love you and we need you, Father. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, essentially, Paul is giving us two directions here. Stop our old sinful ways and start living with a heart poor God. Now we're going to break these verses down this morning. We're going to do a close reading and see how we're going to be changed from the inside and how that inside change will have an outward appearance, an outward difference. Think of it like the flu. I know that's a negative connotation, but stick with me. See, when we have the flu, we get sweaty, we get chills, we're achy, we have fever, we're coughing, stuffy, runny nose. Well, that's not the flu. That's symptoms of the flu. That is the same With our spiritual selves, we're going to put off um, what we're infected by. And we're either going to be infected with a worldly infected heart or with Christ. Now, these are my two truths, giving you all up front. These are my two talking points. It's only two. Do not tell Pastor Micah (laughs) that it's only two. He's going to be very disappointed to hear that. But this is a great opportunity this morning to conduct a self-assessment and assess where your heart is at. What we need to take off, what we need to put on. See, Mark Twain said, clothes make the man. Naked people have little or no influence on our society. So we need to make sure we have the right things on. Let's first take a look at what Paul says about the symptoms of a worldly infected heart. Starting in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Notice he didn't say stop doing it for a while. Do it when no one else is around. Do it only on the weekends. No, he said, put these things to death. Stop doing these things and stop doing them immediately. Then verse 5 continues, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. These are symptoms of a worldly infected heart. And you could very well be sitting there thinking, I'm good to go. I don't do these things. Well, you ever been in traffic yelling at the driver in front of you? Passion, evil desire. You ever decided to stay home from church because of the big football game or some other thing you wanted to do? Covetousness, idolatry. You wanted those things more than being in the body of Christ that day. Don't hear what I'm not saying, though. I'm not saying you can't miss a Sunday, but if it's football season or hunting season or it's summertime and you are MIA until that season's over, you might just want to start rethinking things. Then in verse 8, Paul says, But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Back to that day in traffic, were you mad that day? (laughs) Left lane is the fast lane, after all. Say some things you probably shouldn't have. But on a more serious note, anger is a dangerous emotion. When anger grows, bad things happen. Children are abused, lives are destroyed, people are injured or killed, Hurtful words leave scars that never heal. Relationships are shattered. A moment of anger can destroy what has taken a lifetime to build. We have heard people say it's important to get your anger out. You should keep it. You should not keep it bottled up. Well, turns out studies now show that letting out your anger only leads to more anger. The person who vents is the one who gets more angry. The person who acts in love begins to feel more love. Amazing how that works. Notice the world tells us to let our anger out, and it only leads to more anger. The Word of God, though, tells a different story. The Bible teaches us to let all we do be done in love, 1 Corinthians 16. Not if someone makes you angry, let it out and let them know. Then in verse 9, it goes on to say, do not lie to one another. This, of course, is not a new command. It's been around since the Ten Commandments where we are told, do not bear false witness. We could go throughout the Old Testament and New Testament and list the commands to speak truthfully from the heart. But we know this is what the Bible teaches. We do not have to be convinced of the need to stop lying and speak truthfully. Notice, though, when it says do not lie, it doesn't say except to save someone from getting their feelings hurt or because it's easier than telling the truth. It just says don't do it. Now, we have to put all these things to death. Not only should we put these things to death as Paul tells us to, But once we kill them, we should probably make a fire pit in our backyard, pour gas all over it, set it on fire, sweep up the ashes, put the ashes in a trash bag, bury the trash bag in the backyard. So it'll never come back. That's how serious we should be about sin. We cannot have a relationship with sin. Sin cannot be our roommate. We must put these things to death. And finishing verse 9 and looking at verse 10. Seeing that you put off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So before we put on our new self, we must first take off our old self. That makes sense to me. See, I enjoy working out and sometimes I will go before church on Sundays. When I get home from the gym, I take off the gym clothes, shower, and then put on the church outfit. It wouldn't make much sense for me to get home with my sweaty clothes and then put on my church clothes. I don't think Blair would be okay with that. She'd probably have a few choice words for me on the way to church. Jew would probably cry all the way here, and y'all would probably not want to sit next to me. (laughs) So we have to take off the old to put on the new. See, David Platt said it really well when he said, we are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. So we must first take off our old sinful ways before we are made new. Now, the cure for a worldly infected heart and the way to put it to death is really simple. We are to have a Christ-infected heart. In verse 11, it says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, scathing, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. When we have a Christ-infected heart, we are to have no prejudices because Christ is all and in all. Paul is using these examples to say race, social status, socioeconomic status. None of that matters. Our hearts cannot have prejudices and hatred if we are to be infected with Christ. Because Christ is all and in all. And if we really believe that Christ is all and in all, we don't have room for that kind of stuff. If we believe that he indwells in us, we just don't have room in our hearts for prejudice. Now, at the start of verse 5, we are told what to put to death, what to take off. Symptoms of a worldly infected heart. We are now at the point where we are told what to put on. Symptoms of a Christ-infected heart. Verse 12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now, don't overlook the details to get to the big picture here. We are God's chosen ones. He picked you. He picked all of us if we are disciples of Christ. In the book of Ephesians, it tells us God chose us before we were created, before the beginning of time. He loved us. He didn't see us singing songs during worship time at the First Baptist Church of Ocean and decide he loved us. He always loved us. He wasn't up in heaven going, you know that RJ, he sure does have a pretty voice. I think I'm going to choose to love him and let him be one of my children. It's not how it works. He chose us before the beginning of time. Then he called us holy and beloved. These are titles. This is who we are according to God. Holy, set apart. Holy doesn't mean perfect here. He doesn't mean holy in the way that God's holy. Paul means that God has set us apart. He pointed at us and said, that one's mine. And beloved. Now, some versions of the Bible use the term dearly loved. But I like beloved. That is a sentence on all its own. Be loved. You know, hurt people hurt people. Abused people people will love people. They love people. And because we love, we are to love. Now we know the symptoms of who we are. If we are infected by Christ deep in our hearts, here are some of the symptoms we are going to have. Looking at verse 12 again. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Pastor Micah gave me a quote that I found to be very accurate. And it said, here, so here is heaven's wardrobe, beautifully woven from the hands of a divine tailor. Each of these garments are perfectly worn by Christ. He longs to see you wear them as well. Now, when I see a list like this, I always get a little nervous. I look at it and I think, do I have any of these symptoms? You know, meekness wouldn't exactly be the first thing that pops in my mind when I describe myself. I wouldn't think I've wanted Blair talking about me to her friends when we were dating. Going, oh, he's great, he's so meek. I don't think I'd have been okay with that. But let's look at these symptoms a little closer. So we're to have compassionate hearts. If we're to have a Christ-infected heart, they have to be compassionate hearts. Are we loving people? Are we showing compassion to our fellow man? If you want to see compassion, just look at Christ. Uh, Matthew 15, 32. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Christ feeds the hungry. Matthew fourteen fourteen. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Christ took care of the sick. He healed them. Mark six thirty four. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. He taught the people about God, about himself. This is just three examples of the countless examples of Christ's gentleness and compassion. Paul then goes on to mention kindness. See, the Greek word for kindness is also used to describe a lovely quality of wine that has grown mellow with age. In other words, it has lost its harshness. It's what kindness is. Treating other without harshness. Kindness is treating another person with respect and honor. It's attributing value and dignity to another. Then he goes on to say humility. Now we have no basis for pride. We have every reason for humble gratitude. In Philippians 2:3, Paul tells us to, in humility, consider others better than ourselves. This is not the way we naturally work, though. You don't believe me? We see our arrogance and pride when we feel people drive, should drive at the speed that we want them to, not at the posted sign. <laughs> Become annoyed that people in front of us and line are taking too long. After all, our time is valuable. Resent when others receive an honor we are sure we, are, we deserve more. See, we must humble ourselves. Humbling ourselves is a message throughout the New Testament. 1 Peter 5.6, humble yourselves. James 4.6, God opposes the proud and gives grace to humble. Matthew 23.12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted, uh, exalted. He talked about humility, then he talks about meekness. Now, meekness is really gentleness. Gentleness in our society is seen as weakness. My guess is meek rhymes with weak. We are taught by everyone that if you want something, you have to insist upon it. You need to get louder, not softer. We are proud of the times we flexed our muscles in one. We want to be confident and self-assured. Unfortunately, the result is often an attitude that is rude, obnoxious, and abrasive. See, gentleness is a trait also known as tact. It is the character trait that leads you to relate to others with tenderness and softness. If you want to know what it means to be gentle, again, just look at Christ. When going over this sermon, Pastor Micah said meekness is reserved strength. And I like that definition a lot. A symptom of a Christ-infected heart is reserved strength. (coughs) Uh, We are... I lost my place. (laughs) Uh, Patience is the last thing we are to put on in verse 12, and this is something many of us struggle with. Myself included. See, we are a people that do not have time for patience. What do we want? That doesn't even matter. When do we want it? Well, now. This generation, my generation, we do not have patience. Everything is instant. Instant mail, instant messaging, instant food. We don't have time for patience. Don't believe me? Send a text message you think that is important to someone and see how you act when they don't reply right away. Uh, but Proverbs 1632 tells us how important patience is. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, small him, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. So if we we're to be followers of Christ and to be infected with the gospel, we have to be patient. And then it goes on uh, in verse 13 Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. If we are to have a Christ infected heart, we we're to forgive people because Christ forgave us first. And maybe, just maybe, if you ain't given it, maybe you ain't got it. Terrible English, <coughs> solid theology. Because if you cannot forgive, maybe you have just not tasted and seen how good the Lord is because He forgives us of all sins and you can't forget one sin from one person, one time. No one, and I mean no one, can withhold forgiveness and simultaneously be forgiven for their sins. It just doesn't work like that. Now, essentially, part of what Paul is telling us to do in these verses is how to demonstrate to the whole world how to live together if Christ is all and in all. Think about it. It's described in these words and verses and these commands. Anytime there are two objects rubbing against one another, there's going to be friction. And where there's friction, there's heat. And if there's enough heat, it's going to break the system down. The motor oh, think of it like a car engine. If the car engine is going, there's friction, there's heat, and we put motor oil in it to keep it from breaking down. Paul tells us that the motor oil of the church is forgiveness. When the world sees the church, they can see that it is working like a well old machine, and it's because we know how to forgive one another. But uh, Moving on to verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. 1 Corinthians tells us that love is not a feeling, but it is defined by a whole bunch of actions towards one another. Paul isn't talking about some silly emotion we read in the notebook, or some awful movie you went to see instead of seeing something good like Braveheart. No, love is an action. Love does not boast. Besides, the Bible says if you boast, boast in knowing the Lord. But love, it's patient, it's kind, it bears all things. Just do that to one another. Because love, it covers a multitude of sins. Put on love, and that will bind everything together in perfect harmony, as Paul tells us. Then in verse uh, 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. How can it not rule your heart if your heart is infected by Christ? Understand that peace is not found in our circumstances. If we got everything in right in life, we'd just be bored. In Galatians, we are told that peace is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 3 to seek peace and pursue it. Peace is only found in Christ Jesus. To know Jesus is to know peace. And then and then he ends this verse by saying, be thankful. Don't overlook this. In this verse, in the following two verses, the Holy Spirit of God inspires Paul to write be thankful three times in three verses. I don't know your level of Bible study, but if the Bible repeats something in the span of a minute three times, you might just want to write that down. Uh, starting again in verse 15. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. There's the first time. Let the wisdom of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness, number two, in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks, There's the last time, to God the Father through him. Three times in a row. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Paul is telling us to be thankful. We are to have an attitude of gratitude. We cannot have a heart infected by the gospel if we are not thankful. Paul makes that very clear by repeating, be thankful, three times. So if we are to have a uh, Christ-infected heart, we have to give thanks to everything. Now to wrap this all up, Paul, tells us very clearly and very plainly what to take off and what to take home and what to put on in these 12 verses. Now, we have a choice. We can either live for the world and let our hearts be infected by sin, or we can live for God and let Christ infect our hearts. I personally feel the answer is easy, but the right answer isn't always easy to do. Just because it's easy to see doesn't make it easy to do. We live in a tough, cruel world that wants us to show symptoms of a worldly infected heart. They want that. They want to see that living for Christ makes no difference in your life because then they don't feel like they are missing out on anything. And if your heart is infected by the world right now, it's never too late to repent. You don't have to get down on yourself. You don't have to feel ashamed. The Bible does tell us that a godly grief is a good thing, though. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, Paul tells us that godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Grief that comes from God is characterized by repentance. That verse continues on and it says, but a worldly grief produces death. When we repent, make sure we are doing it with godly grief. And you could just be sitting there thinking, I'll just change my actions, and then the change in my heart will come. But it doesn't work like that. See, Christ gave us a different message In Matthew 23, in verses 25 and 26, he tells us, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate. First, clean the inside of the cup and plate, and then the outside may be clean. That's why it's a matter of the heart. The heart produces the symptoms. The symptoms do not dictate the type of infection in the heart. A Christ-infected heart stands firm in the faith, as we are instructed to do in 1 Corinthians 16. See, we got to do that, because once we stand firm in the faith, our relationship grows with Christ. And when our relationship grows with Christ, our hearts grow for God, and then the symptoms swell. So let your symptoms swell today. Uh, At this time, I'm going to ask the the band to come up, and we're going to pray. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to glorify your word. Thank you for having them inspiring the apostle paul to write what we need to do to have a heart that is infected by the gospel and what we need to do to repent against a worldly infected heart let us do that today lord let our symptoms swell And if there's anyone in here that does not know you lord let them come to know you just thank you for all that you're doing in our lives we love you father and we need you amen